We were best online sofa by New York Times wire cutter. I mean, that is spectacular. And it drove a ton of traffic to our site. That's the voice of Edgar Blazona, founder of Benchmade Modern. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Edgar Blazona, founder of the furniture company Benchmade Modern. It's an understatement to say that Edgar, with his 25 years of furniture experience, knows a thing or two about selling furniture. Having worked in the industry as a founder of multiple companies, including Benchmade Modern, a pioneering sofa brand with revenue of $10 plus million in 2020, as well as a designer for many large brands, and as a hands-on builder of his own furniture as well, Edgar has the full view of what it takes to be successful in the furniture business. Follow along as we talk about how to get the right kind of press, the nightmare of shipping furniture, what you need to know to start your company today, and much more. Edgar has a wealth of knowledge to share, so let's get into it and hear about his journey in his own words. So when I first started my very, very first furniture company, I was basically in high school. I was going to um, school the arts high school, and I was really actually studying graphic design. I had a little graffiti company called Graffiti Graphics. And, and um, I, I, you know, pretty much this like little punk kid that thought I knew everything. And I moved out of, out of my parents' home. I was 16 or 17, something like that, really young, kind of stupidly, you know, moved out. And I had this little apartment. And so I, I made, I decided, I was like, I gotta make some furniture. I didn't have enough money to, to buy anything. And so I thought I can make that. I came from a family of construction. You know, we had a small construction company. So I was pretty handy with my hands, but I ended up getting a welder and I welded up a dining table and chairs. And I, I ended up showing this, this to a, a local gallery. And they were like, we could sell that for you. And you know, it sold. I made like 400 bucks. It seemed like more money than I ever seen in my life. And suddenly I was like, man, I, this is my, this is my, my business this is my job. And, and, um, so I've been building furniture ever since. And it, it suddenly became this, this thing for me. It became the, this business for me. I kind of switched my energy and, and, you know, I, I for a long time, I, I worked, you know, small furniture shop, you know, behind the table saw, and I realized it's going to be forever before I get into a place where I could, I can make enough money to have all these things that I wanted, you know, the summer home and all that. And so I've had all kinds of furniture companies and brands and whatnot, and worked for big retailers, you know, Pottery Barns back in the, in the day when, you know, Pottery Barn was like the biggest thing ever. That was a super fun ride. And, and um and then later on in life you know working for for companies like target and walmart you know designing for them and 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 some of their vendors and and with having lots of product on the floor yet being kind of embarrassed you know walmart you know product and um but you know it's been it's been a, a really interesting ride along the way and then i started benchmade modern and really did that just to tackle this new and this, this, this idea of like, God, why does sofas, you know, in particular upholstered furniture, why does it take so long? And coming from a shop builder myself and in the shop myself, I know it doesn't take that long to make a sofa. You know, right now, timelines are like six months. Like, you know, by the time I've ordered the sofa to the time that it's arrived, you know, I'm bored with it by then. I'm, 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 I no longer want a red sofa or whatever the color was at that, that particular time. 
So I started making sofas for Benjamin Modern and, and I fine tuned the process and, you know, really fine tuned the ordering process. And frankly, a sofa can be made, you know, in six, eight hours in, in, a, in a relatively small factory setting. So that's kind of where I got my start and, and where I am today on, in a nutshell. It's great when you're, like you said, quote unquote, stupidly young and you feel like you can take on anything and you can do anything and you can say, yeah, I'll just start a furniture company. What what could be a problem with that? And you just jump right into it. It's it's nice having that mental elasticity to just jump from one thing to the other. And as people get older, they they sort of lose that. But when you want to be creative, you need to keep that because you need to be bouncing around from so many different ideas and so many different things that you want to do. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, don't you think it's kind of weird? I, I, I guess, you know, it's our industry, right? So maybe, maybe other industries are like this as well, but it's interesting how many people have come up to me at dinner parties over the years to say, you know, I've always wanted to start a furniture business or I've always wanted to be a furniture designer or I think I'm going to leave my lawyer job, my high paying lawyer job to make these chairs that I'm passionate about that I make like, you know, two chairs a, a month, you know, something like that. It's 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 an amazing industry. And I and I guess it's um there's this mystique about it, you know, but when you peel it back a bit, it's. It's a lot of sawdust. It's a lot of sanding. It's a lot of hands-on, you know, hands-on hard work. There is this mystique about it because it's something that we live with every day. A profession like furniture making or being a chef or being an architect, people see that because they live with it every single day, but they don't know the behind the scenes. And so there is definitely that that drive for people to learn more. And for a lot of people, it doesn't go beyond having a conversation with a furniture maker at a dinner party and saying, oh, I'd love to be a furniture maker. And then they stick in, they stick with their regular job. But for some people, they take it that step further and they actually start a business. And those are the people that are listening today. And those are the people that we're talking to. So when you decided to have a furniture company, yes, when you were younger, but when you started to do it more in that mindset of this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life, or this is what I'm going to be doing as a profession, what, what switched over in your mind to make you think this is what I'm going to do? And then what physical steps did you take to accomplish those goals? you know, going back to when I was so young, you know, kind of young and dumb, I, it was money, frankly. I mean, it was, it was a creative outlet for me. Right. And so it was really just all about that $400, you know, but later on in life, probably after my pottery barn years, when I realized this was what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life, you know, and suddenly today, you know, I'm 50 now, right. Old man, but I am still the youngest in the room, weirdly, you know, because furniture people are so old, you know, but, but I also have the most experience, right? Because I've been actually in the furniture industry since I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. So it's a, it's a, it's a thing that kind of just, that just captured me and, and, and took me in. And, you know, later on in life, when I, when I, I started my first real brand on my own called True Modern, and it was a wholesale brand, you know, it was all about, you know, modern kids furniture and, and really it was just an import model and all that, but it was really my first foray into real furniture, a real furniture business, so to speak. And it was fun. And then later on, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, I live in the Bay Area, right? So there's all this, this money flow. It's like the gold rush out here. I mean, I can't even explain it to people well enough. I just happened to live here in the Bay Area all my life. But suddenly this weird gold rush came through with this tech industry, you know? And so, and it was all this money. And I thought, how can I start a business and get involved in this kind of 2000, 2008 era? That kind of all just passed me by, right? And I didn't really have the right business and I raise money for a furniture company. You're crazy. You know, we're, we're building the Googles and, and Facebooks and all that. And then later on, 2014, I decided I was going to raise money. I was going to build a business that could be venture capital raised. But along with that is 
you've got to build this big giant business. And boy, that has, that has certainly turned into this behemoth in it, in itself. Careful what you wish for kind of thing. Well, that is, that is scaling. That is taking your business from an idea and turning it into what it is today, a, a wildly successful company that is looked at as a benchmark in the industry. There is a lot written about your company and it's not some hole in the wall business that people can't find information about if they look for, <laughs> which no. is great. And I applaud you for getting to this point. So that information is all out there. What I'm interested in is the behind the scenes, the, the point of view from your perspective of what building a company like this entails from your perspective, because this is a topic that I talk with a lot of furniture makers about where when you start out, you're a furniture maker, you are design focused, you're build focused, and that's what you do. And you work really, really hard to get to that next level, to be the boss of one employee, then two employees, then three employees. And as that grows, your job leaves the realm of being a furniture maker and becomes being a boss. Yeah, Can, totally. And it's 100% a shift for you because you spend all your time trying to build furniture and then you're not doing it anymore. And you're like, what, what is this new job? Oh my God. Yeah. You have no idea. And, and yeah, let's, let's get into the nitty gritty of that. Right? Like for one, uh, designing furniture is, is like, three percent of my job nowadays right and and that's what people don't really understand is you know people want to be a furniture designer but in order to be a successful furniture designer and and really if you think about it this is the same you know methodology of artists or or musicians right we spend very little time actually creating the work but then the majority of that time is promoting or building or stabilizing the business and, and to grow it, right? And so I always find that really interesting and people don't quite understand that when they, when they fantasize about getting into a furniture business and along any business, we, you know, we hire people, we, you know, we bring on marketing teams. You know, my job these days is about you know, mastering marketing, right? That's not my thing. You know, I'm not a master marketer. I'm a furniture maker. I'm a furniture designer. But in order to support the company and have employees and keep everyone fed and really like almost continue this thing, I have to be this master marketer. I have to understand Google AdWords and Facebook and, and all these various mediums, you know, how do we get involved in TikTok? You know, like whatever they are, I have to try to understand. And, and at times that can be very difficult and it's not just about furniture. And then what about the customers, right? Our whole thing is let's turn the customer into brand advocates, right? Like that's hard, right? So a lot of our focus now is is how do we handhold the customers and how do we deal with shipping problems and how do we, you know, and all of that. And it's certainly not that glamorous life that people think of the furniture industry. It's so hard to explain, like you said, and like I always try to talk about how it, they're both furniture companies, but they're just, it, there's just a disconnect. And it's a strange it's a strange thing to explain to people who have totally. not scaled in that way. People ask me a lot, you know, like they'll say, oh, did you did you see my sofa? You know, a customer or something like that, or a friend order will come through. I have to say, man, you know, we make a lot of sofas these days. Like I, I don't see them anymore. I don't see any of them anymore. You know, it's so crazy because it's like we built this machine, right? And in the beginning, I saw every sofa as it went down the line, you know, and I would make adjustments and I would do these, you know, little tricks to try to make them better. But then we grow a team and we get the team to do that. And now suddenly I don't see any of the furniture go down the line anymore. It's so crazy. It's just so crazy. Let's take a moment for you to brag about your company a little bit. We've talked about how it's scaled and how there's employees and how you started working on all the pieces, but now you're 
more overseeing everything. Give us a little breakdown of what your company looks like today. I'll step back just a hair and I'll say, you know, what, where we began, we raised a bunch of money, right? In order to, to raise money in this tech industry, I had to build a small factory. I had to show the world that I could, I could make these sofas custom by the inch in a very short time. And for a minute there, we were making these sofas, you know, you could, you could spend a couple extra hundred dollars and we would make them in, in 24 hours you know, and which is incredibly fast, but it turns out that people don't even want their sofa in 24 hours, right? We, we kind of had to pivot away from that. Restoration hardware, which is supposed to be the, the almighty, you know, if, if it takes six weeks or six months to get a sofa from restoration hardware and you're making it in 24 hours, boy, how good can that sofa be? You know, that's what people kind of thought. So we kind of had to shift a bit. We've been making them in, in, in about 10 days until the pandemic started. And, you know, in order to have a venture funded business, right, you got to like, you got to really, you know, you got to sell, you got to make a lot of sofas. So, you know, we, we struggled for many years. The first couple of years was really, really tough. And we ended up, we were acquired. We were acquired by by um, American Leather, one of the largest upholstery uh, companies in the country, which was a, a really exciting time for us. And, and so, you know, nowadays, a lot of our, our work is spent managing the process, managing the manufacturing, managing the marketing and, and the website and all that. It's totally shifted. Our, our business is, as, is very different than, than from we very, very first started. And now, you know, flash forward all the way to today, we are making sofas in five-inch increments. We have a hundred different fabrics. We send you, you'll love this. We, if you go to our site, you hit the printout button, and I send you a full-scale printout of your custom sofa. And you roll this giant piece of paper out onto the floor, you know, a corner sectional, let's say, you know, three cushioned corner sectional. You can sit on the floor and see if your family fits on it. You can see if your husband fits in between the arms for napping and all that. It's this really cool kind of tool that I built to kind of change the method of, of how sofas are, are sold on the internet. You know, what can we do to kind of make it a little bit more of a tactile experience? It's all about managing your brand. And when you say you could get the sofas done in a day, somebody could order it and it could be out to ship the next day. But that brand perception made you seem cheap. It made you seem, even though you were doing the same quality, you just were doing it more efficiently, it made you seem cheaper than your competition. So you had to pause and take a step back and say, yes, we're putting out great product, but we need to figure out the brand. We need to figure out mm -hmm. how our customers are going to perceive this because even though we can do it so fast, we shouldn't. So what did you learn in that about brand recognition to keep building your brand forward? How are you looking at customer reactions and how are you judging customer reactions to make your brand more appealing to customers? Yeah, that's a great question. It's interesting because when you have an online brand, it's different than having a, you know, a brick and mortar type brand, right? Where let's say you've got a store in, I don't know, Chicago, right? You've got one store in Chicago and you you have interaction with one group of people, right? And when you have an internet brand, you are connected to the country, right? And so you have a direct access to people in Chicago and New York and Alabama and Florida and San Francisco, right? Who all have very different opinions. And so it's interesting and, and, and it's, it's direct feedback. If you listen to it, it's a little bit of noise, but if you listen to it, it's direct feedback. And, and so, you know, we, we monitor our, our Instagram channels and our Facebook channels, but, but really people spend their time coming to the site and, and emailing us. And you'd, you'd be amazed at, at, 
at the kinds of emails I get. And, and it's, in fact, it, it, at one point during the pandemic, there was, a, there was one email that came in and this long email from this, this woman, I, I forget where she was from, but you know, she wanted help with her living room. And she kind of asked a bunch of weird questions, you know, well, what should I do with this table lamp? But what should I do with that? And, and I thought, gosh, you know, I should make a way for people to be able to ask me the weirdest of questions if they want. And so we built Ask Edgar and it was during the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, right? I don't know if you remember that moment where it's just like kind of before Zoom and, and you know, all these like video meetups and stuff like that, where everyone was just like, you know, wishing that they could be around people. And so I started creating these, these Ask Edgars and people would, would write in, you know, they're crazy questions and some wouldn't be crazy at all, but some would be a little bit weird, you know, and I would, I would video myself answering these questions and, you know, I would stop every day and spend like an hour or two making these videos and gosh, it was so time consuming, but I was just thrilled to be in front of people and, and, um, and, and hear what they had to say. It was a, it was a, it was a really fun time. I can tell you another fun story too of, you know, in the very, very beginning, when, when I started, I, I would do all of my own deliveries, my barrier deliveries. And, and it was very intentional. I mean, for one, you know, we saved money. It was maybe say $200 or so, you know, per sofa going into each house. And so I saved that money and I needed that money. And I'd show up in my truck, you know, and my little bench made modern shirt. I'd be like the delivery boy. It was such a great time. And, and, but what it, what it really did for me, most people didn't realize this, but what I was really trying to do was I was trying to see where the furniture was going. I was trying to see what sort of hurdles it would take to get it in, into their home, you know, and, and what that was all about. And, and was my scale of my sofas, right? You know, were they high enough? Were they, they not low enough? You know, how modern a homes were, were these really going into? And it was a really good experience. And, and frankly, it, it, it taught me a lot about being the delivery guy. You know, people would say, Oh, I got white glove delivery. And I, and I said, well, sir, you know, I don't show that you have white glove delivery. I show that it's curbside. Well, I paid for white glove delivery. I'm going to call the company, you know, and I would say, okay, well, I'm happy to help you carry it in, you know, and they would, you know, grunt and complain about it. And after every delivery, I would always reach my hand out and I would say, um, well, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. And and they would look at me like I was crazy, like I'm not shaking the delivery boy's hand, you know, and I, and I would say, I'm Edgar Blazona. I'm the owner and designer. Um, thanks for purchasing from us. And man, the look on their face, it was like, you know, oh my God, I was such a jerk to the delivery guy. And I would, I would just kind of step back and think in my head, you know, that's one for the delivery people. Maybe that guy will be nicer the next time around. A big part of the furniture business is not actually furniture making at all. It's furniture shipping. And I know a lot of people have problems with shipping furniture because just like being a boss of a furniture company is a different profession, being proficient at shipping furniture is a totally different profession as well. So how have you navigated the world of shipping furniture? Oh my gosh, shipping is the bane of my existence. I mean, it is okay. First of all, right? I ship. And this was part of. I mean, this is part of the development of the of the company, and one of the reasons why I started moving furniture into people's homes so I could understand, you know, the setbacks, right? Okay, so interestingly, an eighty-five inch, eighty-seven inch standard size sofa. We call that a standard size sofa, right? That is standard because it fits in the truck upright on a pallet, right? On a, on a long haul trucker truck kind of thing, right? And I thought, man, it's too small for the room, right? So I'm going to make these 10 foot, 12 foot sofas because that's what the room calls for. Well, it turns out you can't ship a 12-foot sofa, right, through the, through the trucking system and into people's home at, at a reasonable rate, right? And, and when I mean reasonable rate, I mean like less than $1,000. And what people don't realize is, is on websites, free shipping, right? You know what that means? That means that I am paying 
anywhere between three and say $1,200 to get your sofa there, depending on where you live, right? And so, yes, some of that is built into the cost, but not all of it, right? Not all of it is, is built in. And, and so it, it can be very expensive. Okay, but then now it gets damaged, okay? And this is why it's the pain of my existence. It gets damaged, right? You know, sofas, you know, they're so large and heavy. Something will go through the trucking industry. The trucker, you know, it says fragile on it. The, the sofa, you know, first of all, every box is fragile on it, right? But the trucker will drop the sofa and try rolling the sofa, you know, that sort of thing. So damages are part of the business and it's, it's very difficult to avoid. So we have all this packaging and, you know, we spend a ton of money on packaging and, and, you know, we find the right lines that will carry the furniture and all that, but it's really, really difficult to ship something so large across the country. And then in our case, it's getting it into the home, right? It's very difficult to get a, you know, nine, 10 foot sofa on a second floor, right? Oftentimes there's a turn, you know, you go up the stairs and they make a sharp right turn into the house. You know, we can't make that turn. And so, you know, we have all these, these steps in place that call the customer and make sure, because all they care about is, you know, a sofa that fits the room. And, and we've always said, you know, a sofa should fit the room, not the truck. Anybody who has built furniture knows about that turn in a staircase. Everybody, <laughs> yes. everybody, that is the, that is the nightmare for furniture makers worldwide. That's what keeps people up at night. That's what yes. the stuff that nightmares are made of. Yes. And try doing that with a 200 pound sofa, you know, that's 10 feet long that, you know, we're going to put a sofa bed in our third floor attic guest room office. <laughs> you know, that's like, that is, that is the worst possible place you could possibly, you know, deliver a sofa to. So how have you navigated these issues? I know that it's probably a long list of things that you do, but what are some of the highlights that you have found over the years that makes shipping a little bit less painful? I'm not going to say easier yeah. because it's never going to be easier, but less painful. Yes. Uh, one thing, and we've gone back and forth on this, is pallets, right? And and an interesting little story with pallets, right? We We used to you know, buy these beautiful pallets. They were, they were oak, you know, solid wood oak, and they're a standard size, 40 inches by 40 inches, right? And, you know, you, you put your furniture on those pallets and, and let's say the box is like 25 by 35. It fits real nicely on this pallet and you strap it all down and, oh, it's going to make it just fine. Well, what happens is the truckers, cut the ties off, they take the pallet off and then they sell the pallet basically for lunch money on their way to the cross dock, literally because those pallets are standard size and they're very valuable. And they might get $5, $7, something like that. You know, you have, you know, 10 of those pallets that you've cut away in your morning pickups. And that's a, that's a nice lunch for the day. So one of the things that we learned is if we actually make custom pallets that aren't the standard size, then they're not sellable, right? And, and, and then they don't cut them off and they leave them on there and they can still use the forklift to get the pieces on and off. They're not rolling the sofas, which is basically like drop it on its side, push it or, or flip it, you know, and, and literally roll it like cartwheel it kind of thing. So that's been a huge huge savior. And, and we go back and forth like, man, do we really need to spend all this money in these pallets? And then we get a bunch of damages. And, and so that's really, really helped us over the years. Building custom shipping options seems at the beginning, like it's such an expensive option. Like why, why would you ever do that if the, you can just cobble together a lot of off the rack things? But it always seems in the long run that customizing the way you ship something turns out to save you more money down the line than just using 
cheaper things that you can put together that are already made. Yes, yes. I I actually always say you can never have enough packaging, at least in in our business, right? Because you know we ship a sofa. Let's say we ship a sofa. It's a five thousand dollar sofa. We ship it across the country. It gets damaged, and then it gets disposed of. Okay, so now I ship another sofa, another five thousand dollar sofa across the country, and let's say it arrives this time. But on that first sofa, not only did I lose the cost of of the sofa, making the sofa, I made my customer upset. Right? I've also paid anywhere from say three hundred dollars to twelve hundred dollars to get that sofa across the country. And guess what? Now the shipping company. Is charging me to store the sofa before insurance can look at it, and then dispose of the sofa as well. So now I get charged a dumping fee as well, and and it's it's an expensive endeavor. So I always tell the team, look, you can never put enough packaging on it because one of those pays for all the packaging in the world, and and at the end of the day, we are trying to turn. Any one of these problems, we're trying to turn a frustrated customer into a brand advocate, right? Make that customer out there to say, "Yeah, you know, this sofa got damaged on the way, but man, they turned it around and they got me a new sofa and they did the right thing, and I love this company."、It、wasn't the greatest experience, but I love this company and I'm willing to recommend. I am now a brand advocate. I think we can put a nice bow on that shipping part,、yeah. on the shipping、yeah. conversation, and just say it's always going to be hard. Just try and、it's、make、hard. it as painless as possible. Yeah, the shipping industry was not built to drop ship product to people's homes. <laughs> FedEx was. The shipping industry was not. For people who are designing furniture, building furniture, selling furniture, doing a physical thing. You forget about the mental aspect of it. You forget that sometimes you need to, just like you're keeping your body in good shape to be able to move and build things, you need to keep your mind also in good shape to be able to continue to be creative. You got to get out of your comfort zone, and I say comfort zone in a very broad sense because some people's comfort zones are. In an air-conditioned office, some are behind the table saw, some are by themselves, and some are with people. But you need to get out of the place that you're in sometimes to get a different perspective on the world. Yeah, yeah. Run, you know, running a, a furniture company is a lot different than running a custom shop, right? And there's so many aspects people just don't don't see it because they've never done it before, right?、It's, You know, there's marketing meetings, there's creative meetings, there's you know employee handbook meetings. I mean, it just it, it just goes on and on and on, you know, and and it's not the same thing. And and you know, so when you build a scaled furniture company, and then along comes all these variables that, that I just mentioned, and then on top of that, you got to go be creative. Oh, and then there's that thing about being a You know, husband and and you know, family and and all that stuff and and、um, it's it's it can be really hard. But I I wouldn't want to wish for anything else. I mean, honestly, like it is a challenge,、um, but it's a lot of fun and and it's a lot of fun creating product for people. They love it, you know. And they, and I I you know I'm like self crowned sofa king. <laughs> That's my thing. I'm the sofa king. <laughs> Well, sometimes you have to crown yourself. Sometimes you have to be your biggest fan. You need to be the driving force behind getting your company's name out there. But yeah, but the other way you get your name out there is through press. And I know people who have furniture companies who have had amazing press, and it hasn't really moved the marker. On sales, they can be doing well, and they get a great article or a great write-up in、mm-hmm. something, and it doesn't really change their sales figures. It doesn't. So I know that you have had some great press, and I know that you've capitalized on it. And 
I want to know how you did that. Well, uh, great. Another great question. You know, first of all, let's let me just um, give a little credit where credit is due. I happen to be married to a PR person, and and so she does food and, and restaurant PR. And you know, one of the things that she used to always tell her clients was, "Press doesn't put butts in seats." And I remember her always saying that. Right? These restaurants would come to her, and they would say. I want to get us in the in this magazine or this thing, and she would always say, you know, well, press doesn't put butts in seats. I can't, I can't make your business a success overnight, right? And and so, but there are some the angles of press that really can be good, and there's a new angle, you know, which is affiliate marketing, and that that is is something that that plays into this as well, right? You know, I was lucky enough to get the kind of the the, the almighty of, of press, which is the New York Times. And, and yes, that changed the dynamic of our company. It changed the progression. And frankly, I, I give the credit to, to my wife for getting me in, into that. And I even kind of give her credit for helping with us be acquired. You know, it was that article that, that kind of put us in the national spotlight and, um, and, it, and it put us in a place to be acquired. That said, you know, we've gotten lots of other pieces along the way. And, you know, if you have an interesting story, I think that's a lot to do with it, right? You have to have an interesting story. It's got to be more than just, well, I make sofas quickly and I make it, you know, by the inch and, you know, or the five inches and blah, 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 right? Because everybody has a company that's doing something like that. So you have to have a story behind it. And, and, I, and that's what the, they want to write about. And that's what rings true to, to the reader, frankly, you know? And so I think that, that, you know, press is very, very, very important, but there's this new thing called affiliate marketing, right? And this is, it's sort of press, but they also get a, a little cut from it as well. So you, you know, you go to a site, you a review site, you know, the wire cutter is a great example, right? We 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 were best sofa, best online sofa for 2019 or 2019, 20, and then they changed it in 21. We were best online sofa by New York Times wire cutter. I mean, that is spectacular. And it drove a ton of traffic to our site. And yes, that traffic converted. But what people don't really understand is that that Wirecutter also gets a little piece of that. So yes, it was totally, you know, it was a real thing, was reviewed, the sofa was reviewed. So you got to have good product to win, to be able to be in something like that. But everybody kind of gets a piece of the pie after that. And and so you'll see a lot of the a lot of the stuff online about us, you know, our best ofs and 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 pieces like that. They're real. They're real for sure, but but they definitely, you know, it, it is a marketing um, thing for everybody. It's the behind the scenes that people might not know when they are starting their company or when they're moderately successful in their company or even when they're all the way feeling successful about their company. There's so much behind the scenes with press, getting press, who you should talk to, where you should invest your money, your time, your energy. And that's all very, very important because today, if you want to scale your company, if you want to get out of the word of mouth, you need bigger platforms yeah. to share your story. Totally. And let's just talk about SEO, search engine optimization, right? This is something that the people don't think about when they are you know, trying to build a company, right? And maybe this is not for the for the guy who's, you know, who's, you know, making furniture out of his garage or, you know, a small few employee company. This is for the, maybe the more large companies. But search engine optimization needs to happen from day one because it takes a long time. And what this is, is your Google rankings, right? So you are page three, bottom of page three, four, in my case, sofas, Right. And in order to be like at the top, you need to be building these words in and backlinks and, and all these like 
kind of craziness that happens. It's kind of like a little bit of magic, frankly, but it has to start very, very early on in the process because it takes years and years. You know, Casper, Casper mattresses is kind of known for a long time when they had tons, they'd raised so much capital. They were spending tons of money on building SEO. And at the time it was, you know, it was just money lost, right? Because there was no real return on investment, ROI, as we say, right? And so if they built enough SEO so that their rankings became, you know, the top, they in, in turn would be two, three years ahead of the next company. So the next mattress company that came out, it took them forever to get up on the Google ranking, right? And so that helped build their business. And those same tactics can be used in your furniture company today, if you think about it, you know, and frankly, if you know about it, you got to know about those sort of things. It does seem a little bit like magic. So for people who are starting their companies right now, like you said, you need to start it from the beginning. If you were to start a company again today with what you learned, what would you really focus on? I think you take a step back and you say, you know, first of all, naming the company, right? Creating a name that is searchable, number one, but but a .com, you know, do you need the .com these days? Some people would argue that, that .com is no longer as important. Yeah, I think it's a bonus today, right? Can you go to the trademark office and make sure that that name isn't taken, right? And it's taken for the areas, you know, you want to register that trademark, right? So you need to make sure that you can register that trademark in the areas that you intend to do business, right? How horrible would it be, you know, if we talk about SEO, but how horrible would it be to, to build this brand chairs are us, let's just say, and then to go find out and you're doing all this SEO work and then to go to find out that, well, not only can I not be chairs are us, but I don't have the the trademark authority to be able to sell chairs or or lighting because now I've expanded into the lighting category or, or so on and so forth. So I think those are, that's a good start. And then the SEO, okay, table stakes SEO work right now is like a blog, for instance. You know, how do you you tie in a blog to your to your site and backwards, you know, hidden words basically. This modern sofa is so modern and exciting. This couch is, you know, those that sort of language that's kind of starting to become obsolete these days, right? Those words are being hidden behind the page and so on. So it's there is there's a lot to be done. Uh, and a lot to think about. Um, you know, Shopify, great place to build a site these days, right? And there's lots of tools there, SEO tools uh, to get started. And, and again, it's it's all sort of table stakes to SEO, but it will definitely get you started and, and get you off in the right direction. I really like hearing what goes through your mind when you think about your company. And my job here is to interview you. But I want to take a step back and I want to hear what you want to talk about for building your brand. I want to hear what went through your mind when you started this company up to now and the process of it and and seeing it grow from something that started with basically welding when you were 16 to where you are today, a multi-multi-million dollar company. So what does that look like in your mind? And what does that journey look like for you? I found something literally this morning that I, that I thought that this would be interesting to share. So I found this today and I, and I thought it would be something that I would want to share if this question came up, frankly. And February 5th, 2014, right? That was a long time ago. I wrote, it's official. The new sofa factory is called Benchmade Modern Inc. Benchmade is actually an industry term for a sofa or furniture that's handmade on the worker's bench. Perfect for what we want with plenty of expansion possibilities built into the name. Ready for branding. Bought the .com and started the corporation paperwork with California. We should be incorporated in about a week or so. Right? I wrote that on 2000. 
14, right? That's, it was a long, long time ago. And, and, you know, it takes a long time to build something. And we, you know, we've been through so many ups and downs. I, I always say, you know, we were on the ropes then, you know, we were just like ready to call quits and we just stuck our head down and, and kept going. And, and, you know, here we are today and it's, um, it's no easy feat, right? I don't think any business is easy. And, and you know, one thing that I learned when I started researching investment, probably in about 2000, you know, late 2014, early 15, right? When I, I needed to raise money in, and it dawned on me, all of these businesses around us are venture funded. You have no idea how many businesses are venture funded that you, that you just didn't know. And you think like, okay, I came from this world of every dollar in, make a dollar, you know, that kind of thing. And and then and then you see these businesses, you read about these businesses that, you know, these these gems of companies that you think are so successful, right? You know, Wayfair, right? Or or you know, Amazon and just use a big name like that. You know, those guys started those businesses like 10 years before you even ever even thought of hearing about them, you know, and people don't realize how long it actually took. It's not overnight. You know, the majority of people's businesses are not like TikTok or something like that, where it's literally overnight. They take forever, especially businesses in the, in the furniture industry. Towards the end of each episode, I like to ask my guest, what kind of advice would you give for people who are starting a furniture company and people who are running a furniture company, but feeling like they're not as successful as they want to be, what kind of advice would you give to those people? And I know that we've talked about that throughout this entire episode, but if you have some more advice, if you have something that's has stuck with you on this journey, what would that be for people who are looking to reach success in the industry like you have? If you really look at the people that are successful, right? I mean, there's a handful of people who who have created quick success, really quick, right? They've they've had this amazing idea, or you know, they got lucky with a piece of press, or they got Kim Kardashian or or something to wear their product, or you know, whatever it is, and they and they reach a quick success. There's way many more people out there that have done it very successfully, but, but really because they've been at it for so long, their head has been down. They've been at it for so long. And I go back to this saying that I, I like to use often because a lot of, a lot of people around me say, man, you're so, you're so lucky, you know? And I don't think I'm, I'm lucky. I, I think we create our own luck. And so to answer your question, if I was to, to to really give someone advice, I would say be prepared for the long run, right? Be prepared for this to take forever. Make your own luck. Do some things throughout the day that is going to accelerate your business, right? It's not just about spreadsheets and documents and you know, plans and all this, it's actually doing something that will trigger a reaction to your customer, right? How do you do that, right? You you have to think of a way that might bring a little bit more eyes to your business, right? You know, in our case was, you know, at the time making sofas by the inch. Now it turns out you don't need sofas by the inch and it turns out you don't need them in 24 hours. <laughs> that said, we did those things very purposely because it was a signal that we were something different, right? And that helped build our success. And I think if, if you consistently spend just a little bit of your time thinking about those sort of things, those are the brands, those are the companies that win. And, and looking back at some of the, gosh, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful um, uh, documentary on hip hop, right? And, and uh, I think it's Netflix. And, you know, it follows all these, all these people like Russell Simmons, right? And, and how he made his record label, right? And, and you know, he, he, you know, he hired, he hired a bunch of people to, to, to go into a bar and dance. He handed off a record to some DJ and he paid a bunch of people to go into this bar and love this song. And the DJ was like, 
oh man, look, I got a, I got a hit on me, right? And so that DJ from the bar went to the station and played that song over and over again. And it was an instant hit. And Russell Simmons was instantly this record label, you know? And that it's those little tricks, you know, that, that are over and above that made him successful. And then it's heads down day in and day out and, and trying to find yet another thing to grab a little attention. I hear you about the luck and that's something that I always like to remind people when somebody says, oh, I got lucky and I got this or I got lucky and I got that. Yes, you could have gotten lucky. Yes, maybe out of the millions of things that could have happened, the right thing happened at that time. But if you haven't worked so incredibly hard to put yourself in that position to accept that luck and to build on that and to take that luck to the next level where it needs to be, then that luck is not lucky. That's just something that happens in your day. So the reason it is lucky is because you've put yourself in that position to be successful from that moment that happened. For sure. For sure. My, my wife who got me that you know, that New York Times article, that wasn't luck, right? We, we put ourselves in a position so that we could have something to write about, right? And it was those bells and whistles. And, you know, thankfully, she was able to, to pitch that story. You know, it wasn't a, a shoe-in by any means. No New York Times article is a shoe-in, right? But she was able to pitch those things that appeared to be luck to everyone else. But in reality, you know, we purposely built that and we had a story and we, we formulated that story. And, and those are the sorts of things that create success for companies today, whether you're big or small, right? You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to use that strategy because you want to be this big behemoth. You can use that same strategy, you know, when you're making chairs out of your garage, yet you still got to sell it, right? You still got to get in front of people to sell it. You have to sell it. You have to get in front of people. You have to create your own destiny. And that is exactly what you did. And I really appreciate you sharing your story and sharing how you did that and a little glimpse into how you made your business as successful as it is today. And I just want to thank you for your time and for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your journey with everybody listening. So thank you very much. Yeah, hundred percent. Thanks for having me and, and appreciate um, the time and, and, um, and, and going through some of these stories, kind of reliving them with you. It's been, it's been really good. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to building a furniture brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Amos and Podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.